Welcome, everyone, to episode 144 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we're talking about the sequel to a film we reviewed on the podcast in 2018, A Quiet Place Part 2. With me today, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Scott. Uh, enjoying the long weekend here. This is actually Monday afternoon when we're recording, which is not something that we're really ever able to do anymore um, with yeah, both really. of our work schedules. So. Um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed the, uh, the long weekend, not necessarily looking forward to going back tomorrow, but you know, it, it is what it is. I think we've all been there, but, um, I'm doing good. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting that, uh, that we are now at the point in the podcast, we've been doing it long enough to where we can get sequels to movies that we, uh, we reviewed yeah. the first time around. So uh, I guess that's, that's kind of cool that we've, uh, we've made it this long. Yeah. I was actually going to mention that, that thing and sort of right before I started talking about uh, sort of the the primer for our discussion, but yeah, I mean, but outside of like you know the Avengers movies, which you're getting like three. I mean, obviously we talked about Infinity mm-hmm. War and Endgame back to back, but like outside your sort of like huge mega franchise, you know, shared universe type movies, we haven't. I can't think of one off the top of my head where we've reviewed a sequel yet. Maybe, maybe there was one in in there. I'm not 100 percent sure, but yeah, I mean, one we don't review every movie that comes out to begin with, uh, but two, you know, sometimes we. We just haven't been, it's nice to know, like you were saying, I guess, that we've been doing this long enough where we can actually come full circle and be like, oh, this is what we said in XYZ review. I remember, I think last year, as we started talking about, oh, we reviewing another movie by a director we'd reviewed before. Like that was like the first, the first version of that. And then Mm -hmm. now we're talking about the sequel, which I think is cool. Uh, We'll see how much we can even remember of what we said about the first The Quiet Place movie. Yeah, no, it's so long ago. Yeah, Yeah, it would have been interesting because like, I don't know, like pan- t- pandemic year has has distorted all sense of time and memory. Pandemic brain is real. Yeah, I mean, because this movie was originally going to come out only two years after it was uh, the first one was released because it was supposed to come out in maybe late, I think late March. It was like one of the first I was about to say, it was like the first one from what I recall. Yeah. Like it was going to be coming out in a week or two from when everything shut Exactly, yeah. But then it got pushed out over a year, you know, a year and two months, 14 months later. And now it's like, yeah, I don't remember what I said about a movie in, in March of 2018 or whenever it was. Um, man, I'm lucky if I remember what I said about the movie we talked about last week, which was Army of the Dead, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, but yeah, look, I think that, um, yeah, it's cool. I don't know. It was funny that you also mentioned that we we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, which is not something that we normally do. It's not even something that we planned on doing if my internet had just yeah. gone completely haywire last night and decided that it was not going to allow me to use StreamYard. We've all been there. It's true. I just feel like it hasn't happened. It hasn't been that brutal before. Like, usually it's been like, okay, I'll reboot my Wi Fi. I'll restart my computer. Yeah, you just moved recently, too. You know, that that could contribute to it. It could. But I mean, honestly, it's kind of funny that my internet, for the most part, except for last night, has been better than than it was in Boston. Um, Mm. I think primarily because of the provider. Like, I think Fios um, is just a little bit better than Comcast was. Um, and that may be generally true. I have no idea. But I think that my experience so far with Fios has been better than what I had with Comcast and in Boston. But 
be that as it may, we're here on Monday afternoon. It was, they picked the right weekend to, to go out, I guess, uh, to make it easier on us. But yeah, we're recording on Monday afternoon, so let's get to it. Uh, like we mentioned already, today is one of those lucky days where we're going to be talking about a sequel, this time putting John Krasinski's follow-up to his 2018 sleeper hit, uh, A Quiet Place, talking about the sequel today, A Quiet Place Part 2. Though we are momentarily whisked back to day one of the aliens landing on Earth, A Quiet Place Part 2 picks up quite literally exactly where its predecessor ended, with Emily Blunt's Evelyn killing one of the creatures in her family's basement moments before it takes her and her three children's lives. With their homestead destroyed, if you remember back to the end of the first movie, Evelyn and her children, son Marcus, played by Noah Jupe, daughter Reagan, played by Millicent Simmons, who is deaf, and her newborn baby must set out in search of a new home. To avoid any spoilers for those who haven't seen it, uh, that being A Quiet Place Part 2, I'll stop there, but suffice to say there is plenty of tension, thrills, and a newcomer or two, including Cillian Murphy's Emmett, along the way. Scott, did A Quiet Place Part 2 wow you in the same way as its predecessor, or was this, as we originally feared, simply a money-grubbing cash grab of a sequel without the conviction or originality that elevated the first one? Yeah, I mean, you know, the first one was such a sort of fun, I feel like, breath of, of fresh air. It was a uh, it was a movie that, on paper, should not have been the mega hit that it was, I feel like, because, um, you know, for one thing, it's a horror movie. For another thing... Uh, the lack of sound is, you know, an, an element uh, is, is a crucial element to the movie. Um, and you're not used to seeing a, a lack of technical whatever um, in, in big blockbuster movies nowadays. You're used to being oversaturated with it almost. Um, and, you know, the, just some other elements like the, the monsters and everything were very much sort of on the periphery. We don't really get that great of a look at them in the first movie. It's more sort of an invisible enemy almost. Um, and the movie really focuses more on milking tension out of that setup, right? Out of the fact that, you know, they can't make a sound. Um, yeah. I mean, the iconic kind of- image from the first one is the, cl- like the arm reaching into the bathroom where Emily yeah. Blunt is, is giving birth. I mean, that is sort of like the iconic summation of exactly what you're talking about right and you know it was kind of claustrophobic it was mostly set around this one home um you know centering on this one family you know like like you you said there um and so when we got to the end of the movie and you know that ending was also very memorable with emily blunt cocking the shotgun you know as the monsters were starting to approach the house um it it felt like we did it right. That was a satisfying movie. Um, you know, we can maybe imagine what happens next, um, you know, just based on that, that final image, but, um, uh, it's almost more powerful to just leave it there. Right. Um, and that was why at least I was, you know, skeptical of a sequel. Um, and you know, on the whole, while this isn't a bad film, um, I do think it struggles to justify its existence for me because I think it, um, it, it very much pivots away from that stuff that I really liked about the first movie that I was talking about, right? Like now we have a, a musical score that I found to be a little bit overbearing at times, um, you know, that really cuts through a lot of the silence that was there in the first movie. Um, we are very much opening up the world where, I mean, we're, we see the monsters as well from the very beginning, you know, we're, the monster design is is obviously you know in the forefront now in this movie whereas again like i said it was it was more of an invisible hidden enemy in the first movie which i you know i i like again my favorite horror movie of all time is the blair witch project where you never actually even see the 
the specter. So I, I, I like the fear of the unknown um, when it comes to horror movies and all of that sort of mystery and tension about what exactly these things are. Um, it definitely goes out the window here because, you know, we're seeing them in full. And, you know, the design is, is pretty creepy, but um, <clears throat> I don't feel like it was like, wow, I'm seeing something I've never seen before um, in the way that these, these creatures were designed. Um, there's a lot of jump scares as well, which, again, I, I felt like um, the, the first movie did a better job of just milking the tension and everything out of that setup um, and not needing to throw these sort of trappings that you would expect from something a little bit more mainstream, you know, the Conjuring, Insidious series, things like that. Um, that's more of a staple of those movies, I feel like, than it is the horror movies that I really enjoy. Um, and, and, and yeah, but there's, there's more of those present in this movie. Um, it, it, I don't, I mean, in some, in some regard, I think opening up the world makes sense to do in the second movie. Um, I don't know whether it, it fully, it was a decision that fully paid off for me. I do like the addition of Killian Murphy at, his character, I think um, he has some solid scenes, particularly with Millicent Simmons, who I think is the standout from this cast. Um, Emily Blunt and Noah Jupe are really sort of on again on the periphery of this movie. Like they are, they are supporting characters. It feels like, or at the very least, their story is not the one that I was invested in. Um, in the same way that I was invested in, in what was going on between um, Reagan and uh, is it Marcus? Is that Emmett. Killian Murphy's character? Emmett. Um, Marcus is Marcus is, is yeah. Marcus is no yeah. Um, plus, we have this sort of recycled plot element involving Noah Jupe's character, where he gets his foot stuck in a bear trap, like earlier on in the movie. I mean, that was the whole like great sort of Chekhov's gun moment in the first movie when Emily Blunt steps on the nail, right, and it takes her um, foot out of commission. I just feel like it's a little contrived, a little like. Um, we have to throw something in there that is going to put these characters in this particular situation. And so, Oh, we're just going to do this. Um, and yeah, that's, that's just kind of how I felt during the whole movie um, that the, the emphasis on the, the greater emphasis on action as opposed to horror suspense, things like that um, just sort of uh, took, took a lot of the novelty and originality um, out of the first movie, which is what I, I really enjoyed. Again, the way, the way that this was a mainstream horror movie that, that made a lot of money um, was, was, was great to me because of the kind of movie that this was, because it was stripped of a lot of the traditional trappings of, like I said, a conventional horror movie. And I think I tend to gravitate more towards the independent stuff, the things, you know, the A24s, the Blumhouses, the stuff like that, that is doing something a little bit, off center from what you know what you're seeing in, in in the mainstream but it's not a bad movie it's a solid movie um he tried to do the alien to aliens transition i think ultimately with going from uh you know again a straight up horror movie to something that is a lot more action oriented in the in the second entry um it will work better for some people it's just not really what i was hoping to get from this movie and I mean, it, the the execution of it in the end was a little bit pedestrian to me. So I was I was disappointed. I have to say. Yeah, you know, I definitely had similar expectations, I guess, going into it that that you described. I remember when we when this was originally announced. I mean, this is probably a while ago now, probably two year year and a half, two years ago, when they announced that they were going to make the sequel. I think we were both <laughs> pretty vocal about like, wow, 
this is not a good idea. This is, they they don't they definitely don't need to do this if not just to you know basically make a franchise out of this to continue to milk it for money. And I was worried about that, but when I I you know this is the you know bookmark this podcast guys because I liked a movie way more than Scott Harvey liked it. I really really enjoyed A Quiet Place Part Two. I think that the evolution of it going I mean you call it an an alien to aliens type of you know thing I, I think that is inevitable if you're going to make a sequel like you just have to like set aside like all right they're, they're making a sequel what what can they do with it like I don't know what else you can do with it other than make these changes that you're described because it doesn't really make much sense for them to stay at the farm that they're at because you know yeah. their whole supply chamber is flooded they have no way to do that um you know that they have to go out looking for for help or a new home of some sort and the only way to do that is, is to go outside. I think that the sort of uh, the veil of or the specter of the alien creatures that you described, which I think was one of the most effective parts of the first movie. Like you don't have that anymore. Like we've seen the aliens at the end of of A Quiet Place. Like you can't then like, you know, rip, rip the curtain back over them again. You're giving me reasons here as to why this movie shouldn't have been made. <laughs> I think that I, no, and I stand by that. I'm not sure that it did yeah. need to be made, but if it if it was going to be made, I think this was the way to do it, and I really enjoyed it uh, at a high. I mean, just at a high level banner thought, not to bury the lead at all. I agree with you, Millicent. Millicent I mean, Millicent Simmons, and I guess by an extension, Cillian Murphy. They are the leads of the movie. At the end of the day, I agree that Emily Blunt and particularly Noah Jupe. I mean, not that Noah Jupe played like had a lead role in the first movie. Um, but Emily Blunt certainly certainly felt like a co-lead to John Krasinski in the first one. Uh, definitely were relegated to like the B plot, if you will. And I think that works well. And and I actually like sort of the narrative through line of, you know, it, when, I think when you peel things back or you rewatch the first one, or, I mean, I haven't rewatched it, but as I've thought back on it, like it ultimately is the story about a father and a daughter. I mean, that is what it's about. It's like narrative core. Um, and then, coming to terms with with how each other they love each other and, and things like that. And I think that the sensible narrative through line to that is to then see, all right, now that the father is dead, how does, you know, how does his daughter respond to the sacrifice that he made and sort of the legacy that he leaves with her for the lack of a better way to put it. And so I, I enjoyed that as well. And I, and I think that she really steps up to the plate and, and delivers a really solid performance. Um, you know, arguably even better than any of the performances in the first movie, in my opinion, because I, I don't think A Quiet Place was like, you know, it, it, I didn't lo- I didn't really like that movie because its performances like blew me away. Um, if, if anything, the best character in that movie, to go back to a previous point, is the unseen creatures that are stalking everyone like that is like the best and the silence, like the best characters in the first one. And I think that um, it, it was inevitable that you have to add in more action. You have to add in these new characters. Um Otherwise, this sort of exercise of a sequel, I mean, you talk about it it no longer having this originality or this novelty to it. I don't think that if it tried to do the same thing in, in part one, I don't think that we would be saying anything different. And maybe you say, all right, that's the argument why they shouldn't make the movie. But again, like just presupposing that they, they are making this movie and we have to live with it. Um, I think that they I think that they did it well. And I, I liked uh, sort of the staging of the action. I liked that they didn't use. Um, I like I liked the sort of. I don't know what the right way to describe it is like the hooks that they used to, to sort of tie these different actions actions together. I, I like this whole notion of is that like an incinerator that they're hiding in, in the bottom of this like steel mill um, or something like that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it look it's it's like a makeshift fallout shelter, basically. 
Yeah, like I mean, it, it's clearly like a, a steel factory. I just didn't like yeah. know what what it was they were hiding. I mean, I, it looked like some sort of like pizza oven, but it's a factory, so it must be some incinerator. Talking um, about James Cameron, that looks like something out of a James Cameron movie. That heavily industrial like setup that they were in. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but again, with you know that being the B plot, I really liked the further exploration of the world. You know, if I if I if I could lobby one, you know, really serious, like more serious complaint about the movie from my perspective is that I wanted them to lean like even more into the lore of the world. Like I loved, like the opening scene was fantastic. Like yeah, that's the best that, part of the movie. I agree. Yeah. I mean, that probably still is my favorite scene in the whole movie. I mean, that thing was just on fire. I mean, that scene was just amazing. And I kind of, and I kind of with that, like when you, when you, when you zoom out and you look back at, at, how that like obviously it's introducing Emmett because you you do meet Emmett in that opening scene but like really I feel like that was just like a way to like get John Krasinski into the movie honestly which just felt, felt kind of weird um when you think back on it but I mean amazing scene but I had hoped when I saw that that one thing that they were going to do in addition to all this other stuff is that they're really going to like lean into like the lore of these creatures and I think that's the one thing that the sequel could have done more maybe to justify its existence too um from your perspective if they had explored more like not necessarily the origin but like the world you know beyond just like these like you know devolved humans uh, at the docks that you get that you get like this world of the of the creatures and the aliens whether it's the origin whether it's like how society is functioning and, and what's moving forward and you get little pieces of that i guess when you get to the island uh, that they sail to but i think that's yeah, where I it, mean, it could have added a little bit more yeah like i was intrigued by the possibility that oh okay there's other people out here right like i i I, you know was again intrigued by the idea of like oh we're gonna set up some sort of community like um of survivors and things like that we're really gonna open it up in that way and that that was you know a promising element to me but they they didn't really didn't feel like they really do anything with it right they get to the island there's like 10 minutes or so but then the creatures show up right jaiman hansu like Cannot Spoiler believe he even advertises in this movie. Spoiler alert: <laughs> Jaiman Hansu eats it after like two, two minutes. minutes, and and you, it's they telegraph it too. Like yeah. he's like backing out of the garage, and Billy Murphy's like, no, 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 and like I'm just like, here, here we go, and like yeah, he gets dragged out from under the door or whatever. Yeah, I don't, need, I don't even count that as a. I mean, I know that it technically is a jump scare, but I don't even count that as a jump scare. I don't like, count that as a jump scare. I just yeah. count it as I. You could see from a mile away that he was about to. To die, like, yeah, it just makes you wonder why, like, why he was like, why, why pay Diamond yeah. Hansu to be in your movie? That's and he was the only, and he was really the only, like, you know, member of that community that they spent sort of any time on. Um, yeah, and, you know, and he and he bites it, so it felt like a missed opportunity to me to like, well, like everyone in that community yeah. is dead now, so it doesn't even. It matter. seems well, right, exactly. It yeah. seems like they want to make even more of these movies. So I mean, uh, they're going to make a sequel, then they're going to make a part three, hundred percent. I mean, this thing did kill her yeah. box this weekend, right? So, so I feel like let's let's o- let's open things up in terms of the people in this movie. Like we got one new character in this movie, really, at the, at the end of the day, and we lost one from the first movie. So it's it's you know we're not. Uh, I, I feel like we need to expand things in that area if um, if more movies are are going to be made, especially if like Emily Blunt and. No, Jupe are, are going to be put on the sidelines a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, I would even say that this one is set up even more for a sequel than than the first one was. To be really honest, because you know where they leave it is like it's not like everyone's back together, right? Like the third, you can see where the third movie could take it if it does take the approach of picking up again right where it left off. Um, I mean, you can see the direction that it's going to go. Maybe they take the, a different approach. I don't know, but the ending did not land like the 
the ending did in the first one. They, I mean, they do the same type of thing yeah. where they, they try to end it abru- like very abruptly. Well, right on um, the gunshots, basically. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, in, instead of it being like, oh, hell yeah, which is like what you felt at the end of the first movie, it was like a true, was that it? Like, was that the end of the mo- movie moment? Like, because it's a short movie, which I which is fine. I, I'm Again, I'm totally fine with that. But especially um, when it's a short movie and you have like, that abrupt of a final note it's like wow like that you know the the monsters you can kind of see it coming though you can kind of see it coming a little bit but the monsters have basically been defeated like one or two minutes earlier and then the movie ends which like it feels like there needs to be some moment at oh, least it's shorter of, like, than that it's like it's like 30 seconds isn't it well yeah i mean yeah, uh, yeah i maybe even which is how the which is how the first movie ends too like emily blunt yeah like I, I feel like I, I wanted a little bit of a reunion moment between the two you know, well, good news, Scott. Groups. I think I have a movie in a couple of years coming out that'll be just for yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you do. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Look, I I don't disagree with what the the thesis of what you're saying there around the the impact of that ending being less gratifying, less um, you know sweet, <laughs> for the lack of a better word, than than in the first one because. I don't know, like unlike the first one, right? Everyone was together there and it is just like sort of like final stand. Whereas this one, it's like cutting back and forth. And, you know, there is this moment where they they do manage to line it up, which is, you know, I think it's edited well enough. Um, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't have like that sort of like badass, you know, shotgun cocking that you get at the end of the first one where Emily Blunt is like, you know, reloading her gun for the next creature that's going to come down the stairs, presumably. Um, regardless, though, I think overall, I, I liked the bits of lore, not not to, not to be our, our resident lore person to just like every time there's any lore in any movie, I always bring it up as something that I like. Um, but I, I like the fact that like we get introduced to these like feral people on the docks who are like the, the you know, people of humanity that aren't worth saving that Emmett's alluding to earlier in the film. I like that. I, I am interested, not enough to get a like standalone movie about them, but I'm interested in in, in knowing or learning more in some roundabout way, I think. Um, and I'm interested to see what happens with this sort of like Island and, and with this, you know, bit of information that they, you know, these creatures can't swim. So there is a way to isolate yourself um, and, and start again and create communities out of that um, over time. And that I don't think that necessarily means that they, again, need to make a sequel <laughs> to this movie. Um, but hey, look, I think if it continues to evolve in a sensible way, then go for it, right? Like, sure. That's, you know, if you're if you're gonna make one either way. Let's um, get a different director next time. That's that's I kind don't of think how there's I, any feel, way. I don't think and there I'm is so either. Torn. But. I'm so torn because I don't know why John Krasinski wants to keep making these movies. I like genuinely don't. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, they make money. But like this, I don't see this being this made without John probably, Krasinski. This is probably gonna be the biggest like money earner movie for quite a while. Well, but my, my yeah. point is the movies make money. Like that's yeah no that's absolutely the answer to why he would potentially want to keep making that. But I'm with you. Like, but I presume he, like creative. I want to see him flex. He's not much. interested in making like why why like he could go get paid. Barry Jenkins like, is making a Lion King movie. Yeah, but he I, I guarantee you he has like I mean sure like but that, that's different though like he's not making he's not making a Lion King movie and then making another one like I, I don't know like yeah like, no no one's holding a gun <laughs> to his head and saying you know what you need to make a sequel to Moonlight. Barry Jenkins the Lion <laughs> King two and a half two and a half coming soon. I mean like that. Why wouldn't you be excited about that? If they got announced, that sounds crazy. Um, but I, I just think that like creatively, presumably John Krasinski can make just as much money making a Quiet Place sequel or making another movie 
that's like original. And I mean, I don't know, like maybe yeah. he has maybe he has this really grand vision for a 10 part quiet place series. I and, you know, great. Awesome. If he does great, that's that's incredible. I don't know how you're going to sustain audience attention that long, but um, look cool. But I just I would just assume that like if the money, maybe the money isn't equal. Maybe that's where I'm wrong here. Maybe the money isn't equal. But like if the money is equal, why doesn't he want to go do something more like do something different? I don't know. Maybe he just really loves making movies with Emily Blunt, which, you know, fair on him because they are married. They are, but she is multi-talented. She can do other genres of movie too, so to your point. No, she can She can only be horror action mom. I mean, she is She is made, arguably at her best in the action world, but like, I mean, you know, she's, you done comedy, she's done drama. Yeah, yeah, but I think that if, if, when, if you asked yourself who are the most like, I don't know, who are like the best utility actresses? I don't know if you, Emily Blunt is the first person who comes to your mind. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, Emma Stone. No. Or, uh, yeah. It, do I think of her because I just watched Grill? Yeah that, that, yeah, that might be true. But I also just watched A Quiet Place Part 2 and I don't think of Emily Blunt when I think of utility actresses. But I love Emily Blunt. This is a, this has come up as like way more negative on Emily Blunt than I think I am. I really like Emily Blunt. She's amazing in Sicario. I mean, Edge of Tomorrow, you know. Yes, Edge of Tomorrow. Favorite, <laughs> I yeah. Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, wow. Sure. Mary Poppins Returns. She sings. Sure. That. She was wonderful in that. Yeah. Emily Blunt filmography. Incoming. All right. Uh, well, thinking of Emily Blunt, why don't we talk about some actresses and actors who are in this movie? And why don't we start with the two, I think at least that I've called leads that you've maybe tacitly agreed with me, Millicent Simmons and Killian Murphy. You said that you were big fans of both of what they do. You at least said you were a big fan of Millicent Simmons and that you liked the addition of Killian Murphy. Why don't you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, he's a little bit of an anti-hero, Killian Murphy's character, is I feel like, because he's, um, you know, we, we get some, like, revelations early on in the movie that um, maybe he could have, uh, that he might have seen the signals that John Krasinski was um, sending out every night, but that he never really came to help, despite the fact that he was, you know, a family friend. Um, so there's sort of that that hanging over the movie. So there's he has to have the sort of redemption arc, which I felt um was was pretty effective um given that he's playing as a counterpoint to um to the father to um, john krasinski's character from the last movie um who is like practically a christ figure with the way he's like referred to uh, you know <laughs> in this movie and the way that he's looked up to by his daughter um which is something that i i, I don't know i i i roll my eyes a little bit at like this idea that oh i'm I have to, you know, be like my dad would have been and like, just be your own person, you know. Um, also, your mom's pretty cool, too. But um, that that arc, you know, that 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 arc was fine. Um, I think but, it might yeah, hit different we, if you had rewatched this right before and you I mean, yeah, like, she, like her dad hit her dad just like sacrificed himself to save her from this sure. from one of the monsters. I don't know. Keep going. Sure. No. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're probably right. Um, but, you know, also like that his whole sacrifice and death or whatever was the one part of the first movie, which I was like, you know, groaned a little bit. Cause you could just see it coming from a mile away again. It was, it was, it felt very telegraphed, but, um, but anyway, um, I think Killian Murphy is, is a nice addition because you don't know for a lot of the movie, is he, you know, is he gonna, is he really want to help them or when times get tough, when, um, you know, they really start getting in the thick of it. Is he, where do his allegiances lie? Is he going to leave them? behind and do his own thing because he's lost his wife um from what we we learn in the movie um and he seems like a little bit of a loner um so yeah that that character arc might be the most satisfying one in the movie uh 
that that any character has, like I said. And then Millicent Simmons, yeah, I think um, very expressive performance, like, uh, you know, a, a lot of emotional range for someone who doesn't speak a, a single line um, in, in the movie. Um, I, I think she's um, a very talented actress, and I hope that we will see her in other stuff outside of this world, you know, where her uh, deafness is a very much like a, a crucial element, uh, you know, of, of the movie. I would like to see her in just some sort of normal, you know, teenage character role, perhaps um, outside of this context, like I said. But um, I think she's good. And again, the, the arc with her and, and Killian Murphy, I think, mostly works because, you know, she's kind of having to step into the the shoes of her father again, that um, maybe Killian Murphy's character is more reluctant to step into. Um, she's the one who's saying, no, we got to keep going. We got to find these people who are out there. Even if it means I'm going to have to go out here on my own, I'm going to do it because that's what my dad would have done. Um, so those two performances work for me. Yeah. I'm, a, I mean, look, when, when I knew, I knew Killian Murphy was in this film. In the first scene, I literally did not even recognize him. It, I did not even fully process that was Killian Murphy at the baseball yeah. game until like, yeah, I don't know, like twenty minutes, twenty minutes later or whatever. Uh, unrecognizable with the, with the beard and the long hair, um, which is awesome. I mean, like, good for him. What a chameleon! And didn't know he had it in him. Um, although maybe it was a fake beard. I don't know. I don't want to like slander his his like beard growing ability. But man, I I feel like I've only ever seen him like clean shaven or just like the scraggly yeah. looking thing. Uh, on his face from the various, and I feel like he had Dark Knight insert whatever Peaky Blinders. Um, the couple seasons I watched that great show. I want to go back to that, especially because Anya Taylor Joy is in the fifth season. Um, anyway, um, I think he's great. I think it's is really honest. I think he adds a a dimension to like character development that you just don't get in the first film. And I'm not saying the first film like needed a character like that, but because I think that everyone's intentions are like really clear, and it is about this family staying together and and surviving whereas this one is again it's a different there's a different nuance um to the arcs of, of this movie and i really liked what this character and this performance added to it um i think that it it really added this new element or flavor to the interactions between everyone right between him and mill simmons between him and uh, emily blunt's character evelyn before they you know went their separate i mean i shouldn't say went their separate ways but before he sets out and trying to you know basically catch up with with uh, with Reagan. And I think it's great. Like the, the conflict, you know, it, 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 there's like, because there isn't as much, or there isn't to the same extent, the tension that you get of like constantly trying to, you know, avoid and hide and survive in the same way in a quiet place part two. I think that you, you needed this new source of tension or this new source of conflict within the film, I think to really, to really carry you through it. And I think that his character and, you know, whatever battle that he's going through internally with that um, without diving too, because he does, I mean, it never really dives so deep into it that it feels like it's a, it's an introspective movie about his own like reckoning. Um, but it adds enough of it to, again, sort of add something new and interesting and, and um, you know, new flavor to it overall. So really enjoyed that. And then Melissa Simmons, I mean, I said it at the top, like, I think she's the standout. You said it too. I think that she really delivers um, the sort of heart and soul that John Krasinski sort of provided in that first film as you know a father who's just trying to, you know, repent for what he feels like is a wrong when, you know, his younger son died. Um, sort of a, that you see at the sort of the start of the first movie and him trying to overcome that and 
be be the man he wants to be for the lack of a better way to phrase it i think that you see the sort of sacrifice through her eyes and and what she feels like she needs to do to not necessarily fill that role but start to like shoulder some of the responsibility that he carried um and she feels that responsibility because of his sacrifice for her and so i really like again sort of the 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 through line of that through the two movies i feel like that's the if i had to point to a reason or two of like why the movie exists I think that would be what I what I'd point to in terms of like the narrative concession that, you know, all right, this 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 story or this or this through line being explored is what justifies the existence of, of the film beyond just, you know, a new spectacle to watch. So kudos to her. All right. The other two characters, Scott, that we talked about um, or that we mentioned were, of course, Noah Jupes, Marcus and Emily Blunt's Evelyn. Anything you want to add about those characters? I know you already mentioned that they really felt like they were secondary to the story overall. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the the baby becomes an element of this. Um, and As it was in the first movie, too. Yeah, sure. But, um, you know, I like that they were able to to empower em- Emily Blunt a little bit in spite of um, the fact that she was pregnant. Um, and here, I don't know. Like I said, it just feels like they, they put her on the, the sidelines a little bit. You know, she has this baby to care for. And, yeah, she, she goes out and, you know, she does some, um, some action-y stuff. But... Um, it does feel like a little bit of a, a wasted potential there for, for that character to um, have some sort of interesting development based on the fact that, you know, she's now the head of her household, right? Um, or, I mean, you know, again, maybe this movie is about the fact that uh, that the daughter is going to become the head of the household. I don't know. But um, I just feel like we don't get a sense from her character of her reckoning with her husband's death or what it means for their family going forward. Um, she is just more there as a, I don't know, the heroine from the first movie who we, we, you know, came to appreciate in the first movie. Uh, and then Noah Jupe, like, like I said, not much to do here. They give him an injury that is very similar to something that happens in the first movie, um, which doesn't, didn't really work for me. Um, certainly not as well as it worked in, in the first movie, like I said, where you had the sort of build up and there's, you know, that's like a great theater moment, right? When you like, everyone remembers seeing the nail earlier and then she starts running towards the stairs and everyone is like, you know, they know what's about to happen. Uh, you know, that's, that's a great moment. And I just feel like this movie was missing a lot of those. Um, and certainly the, the bear trap and, and all that didn't have the same oomph to it. Um, and Noah Jupe isn't, isn't left with much to do except sort of be the foil to uh, the screw up to, of the family to Millicent Simmons character in a lot of way of being like, yeah, well look, you know, dad tried to do what you're trying to do and he ended up dead now. So, uh, which honestly he's got a point, but, um, but that's, that's kind of all he, he really serves to do in this movie, which, you know, again, it feels a little bit of a missed opportunity. I think he's talented. I thought he, you know, the few episodes I watched of the undoing recently, he was one of the better parts of that show. And, you know, I've heard, obviously heard good things about what he's done in like honey boy, for example. but I, uh, yeah, definitely. I, yeah, they didn't really do anything with his potential here either. Yeah. But no, I mean, no, Jupe, I agree. No, Jupe. Uh, like good, good kid actor, right? Like he's definitely up there. <laughs> I mean, I think the fact that I associate him with the, with the Stranger Things cast tells you that he's a good actor because like all those kids are like are great. Um, I plan on watching that this year before season four comes out, but we'll see if I get around to it. Um, yeah, and I I do think that it. I don't remember the first one well enough to know whether or not, like how like how meaty of a role it really was 
for him, to be really honest. I yeah. know that there's different portions of the movie where different parts of the family get like segmented off from each other. And I think that he might have been in like the corn or, or like the the silo, the corn silo with Millicent Simmons at some point. And I could be misremembering though. Um, but yeah, he doesn't really I get remember. That. I just remember the scene where he like goes out with John Krasinski to the waterfall and they like scream or whatever, because it's like the one place where they won't be heard. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Like the early, that was pretty, that was like in the first act or it was like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember that scene. Um, And they come across, they don't know. They like come across some like random guy out there too. Yeah. 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 Uh Like yell, who just like starts screaming. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kills it. And then the creature comes and kills him. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, should I rewatch the first one? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I, it, he didn't have much to do. I don't know how much of that is a letdown from the first one. I suspect it's probably a little bit of a letdown, but maybe not as much as maybe is being talked about. Cause I think he, he still was a, a secondary character in that first one as well. Not to say that he doesn't deserve to be, you know, a central character and maybe he would be in the next one too. Who knows? Um, if, and when that comes out. But yeah, he is sidelined, and although doesn't ha- doesn't have the tension build as satisfyingly as that first one, but man, it is brutal when when that bear trap, um, when he when he steps into that bear trap, that was that was ugh, man, that was I think that might have been a worse moment for me than the nail in the first one. Really? Wow. Well, not 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 in like a satisfying way, but in like oh man, that was yeah. gr- that was gruesome. Yeah. Um, both are terrible though. <laughs> not one either yeah. that happened to me. Um. Man, Scott, I will say when that happened in the movie, I'm like, they're gonna kill him. Like, they should like that's gonna be that that's gonna be a real twist. That would if, be a great way to open the movie. In my if they have, if they then kill, yeah, Noah Drew's character, that that would have been really interesting. Um, but no, instead, it's used as as a way to sort of again separate the two parties, so to speak. Um, and you know, you say that there's not much character development with Evelyn. And Emily Blunt's character. And I think for the most part, that is true. But I think it's also this sort of like themes that you're saying, like exploring how she has to like step in to be the lead of the family. Like this movie takes place within like 36 hours or something, right? Like maybe like 48 hours after the first one ends. Mm -hmm. And it feels to me that like she is like, I feel like I can see her starting to step into that role. But like, it's just like not enough time for her to like actually develop into that. Right. And there's this sort of like power vacuum for the lack of like leadership vacuum for the lack of a better word, um, which is also how you get, I think the response that you get from Reagan to also want to step into that role as well, where she's thinking about things from a very particular perspective. And then you have Evelyn thinking about things from a very particular perspective about like, how do I keep everyone safe? How do I keep my newborn safe? Things like that. And I think it creates this interesting dynamic for half an hour, right before they get separated before they go before, Reagan runs off and you know tries to find the island that is an interesting breadcrumb again to sort of if you were going to tie like an again another net like through line to tie the narrative through to a third movie maybe that's where you where you see it sort of run through but I don't know I, I liked what Emily Blunt did with what she had but you know again it, it was not she was not a central character at the end of the day in this but she had some really good scenes I really liked how um you know, in, in sort of the tense action scene that she gets when she's come back to the warehouse where Noah Jupe and the newborn are, where she has to like use one of the oxygen canisters to like set off the like sprinkler system. I think that's like a really interestingly crafted action scene. Um, I really enjoyed that one. And uh, she did a good job with what she had. But again, 
feels like less significant than what she had in the first one. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I would have liked to have more moments of like where they have to use their ingenuity, right, to like avoid the creatures more so than just sort of brute forcing their way through it. Because I feel like that again, that was such an element of the the first movie that like you were, you know, you were so afraid to any sound that the characters made that you know something bad was going to happen. Yeah, and here it 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 feels like the kind of again that that goes out the window a little bit like the the tension that came for that comes from one scream or something that makes sound um it, it, it's not quite there anymore and you know a lot of that i think comes from the fact that they're you know again they're shoot they're shooting these things they're blasting their way through them at, at certain points um and it just kind of takes that element again it's going it's going towards a more action feel and maybe they had to do that maybe that's the only place they could have gone but um Again, that's I, I, if that's the direction you're going to go in, um, I question whether this movie was necessary. And even if it was necessary, I still feel like it could have been a little bit better. I think you're being a little hard on the movie because I think that it's still man. Like, yes, they do. They kill two creatures in this movie. They kill one at the beginning out in the field uh, right, yeah. after the, right after the bear trap. And then they kill one at the end of the movie in the DJ room. And then in the middle, I think you actually... I don't think it's as ever pre- – I mean, okay, that's not true. They kill a third one on the on the train, um, on the train. So there's three. Um, yeah, and yeah, again, it's just like I think the it, the combination of that with like the more intense music, the, the jump scares and stuff like that, the more just sort of aggressive trappings on the whole, I think, um, sort of deaden the impact of – you know, again, what they were able to create sure. with the first, in the first movie, which is a which was a real atmosphere, right? Like that atmosphere doesn't feel like it is quite present anymore, um, like it was in the first movie, where you were like yeah. gripping your seat, like you were afraid to make any sort of sound. Yeah, I, I guess to to finish the point I wanted to make though is that like yes, it is more action. I mean, like I don't think you could watch the movie and not say it's more action oriented. Like it absolutely hundred percent is. And so for some people that's going to work better than others. It, it definitely worked better for me than it did for you. But I do think that it doesn't completely, you know, wave goodbye to this whole notion of like needing to be clever with how you get around creatures in certain moments. Like for example, I think that you get that with you know when. Emily Blunt is trying to get back down into sort of like the hiding spot in the steel house. Like she has to be really creative with how she gets the creature's attention to get out of there in the first place and then like work her way around it. I think you get that on the docks when not with the creatures, obviously they're not facing the creatures there, but when you have Emmett who is like tied up in a noose and you have Reagan being dragged off and like creatively trying to work their way out of this situation. I think that you still get those moments. Um, it's not as ever present as it was in the first one, which is your point. And I totally see that point, but I don't think this, this film completely casts it aside and it still has these, what feels like pretty big set pieces where it's not about just like shooting the creatures, right. Um, yeah. use, using the cochlear implant and whatnot. Um, and I, and I, I still like that you got the mix of both. And I think that it like, if you're in your first movie by killing creatures with a shotgun, like, it's not not going to happen in the next one. I think that it's just like you could, you just can't make the movie like unless the opening scene is like she, her like cochlear implant gets destroyed. Right. Um, like this is like, there's no way around it. Like it's going to happen in the second, in the second. Yeah. One. And there's a moment where like they sort of, they really go full on her perspective and you don't hear anything like you, she's walking. Train. Yeah. I, I wanted more of that. Yeah. I know. I, I yeah. frankly, I wanted more of like, if you're, if we're going to foreground her story and her character more, 
then let's like legitimately look at this from her perspective and try to see the world how she sees it, which is she can't hear anything. Um, and so I thought that that was that that was a way that they could have like taken a new interesting step with this movie. Um, but we really only flirted with it in that one uh, brief sequence. Yeah. What? So they took our perspective, I think, more more than once. Um, I think that it was impactful only in that really that really yeah. one scene that, that we're talking about here. But yeah, I do wonder if isn't that something that they want to lean more into going forward? I, I agree that, you know, one of the best scenes of tension where they still kill the creature is on the train, right? Where, you know, you, you get the moment where she, that you get the sound when she opens the door and you get this, you get the jump scare of sort of, I guess not opening the door, but like the body falls out of the compartment mm-hmm. or whatever that she's trying to get the first aid kit out of. And then it goes completely silent as I think the implant, like, is it that her cochlear implant falls out? Like it happens at certain times when she takes yeah, maybe, the implant yeah. out. Cause she can technically hear things. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously not to the same extent, but yeah. overall, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a good scene. I, I guess I just like, I guess to sum it up here, cause I think that we're pretty much at the end of this, at this road. Like, I just really liked how it evolved. I, I said this in my letterbox review, but you know, I've heard said that like the best evolution of things is that like one third new, one third, the same and one third, like changes, like is tweaked to be improved. And I think that th- this is an example of a movie that is able to like do that balance really well. Like it feels like they kept, you know, one third, the same, they, they really kept some of these tense moments, these big set pieces that aren't just like blasting your way through the monsters. I think that they do keep that and they keep the the core of that um, there. You get one third tweaked. And I think that's where you see a little bit more action oriented. So they, in- they inject more action into it uh, in a, because of the developments that you see at the end of the first movie. And then one third new, which I think is this whole introduction of the outside world, you know, outside the farmstead, uh, Killian Murphy's character, these like feral people, the other, other people exist in this universe, in this island. And I think that it just comes together to make something that was really enjoyable. Is is it going to be the movie of this du- you know duology right now with see if it comes a trilogy that I think about most? Probably not. But like when I was watching the film, I think I did have an even better time with this one overall than I did with the first one, even if it's not going to be the one that sticks with me the longest. Fair enough. Any last, you know, thoughts you want to add before we wrap things up? No, uh, you know, I, I guess ultimately this, I wanted this to be sort of the welcome back to theaters moment, right? Which it seems to have been for a lot of people. I mean, obviously we've been back to theaters quite a few times. Um, well, this is my first, but, so I've only been back for Tenet and Raya. That was the only two movies that I'd seen. Oh, before. okay. Yeah, well, I've I've been back a few other times, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it it does feel like this is the movie that a lot of people are viewing in that way. Um, and there's even a little thing from John Krasinski beforehand. See, I didn't uh, get that at mine. That's because I saw that really? in your review, and I didn't get that at all because I think that I probably I've seen other it. people talking about it. No, Sean yeah, Baker actually yeah. just tweeted about it. Yeah, that's well, weird. You, that did you, you see didn't it at AMC? It. Yeah, maybe it was AMC. Well, but you saw. No, it I went to AMC. AMC. I don't. Know. I mean, I saw I it in IMAX. Maybe it was like a non-IMAX thing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it didn't have that. It, it just didn't have that for me ultimately. And I think uh, yeah. it the the summer movie season will have better, in my opinion. We'll have you sure hope so <laughs> for your sake. Yeah, we'll we'll have uh, theater experiences that are more captivating. Well, um, look, I, I also hope that even though I enjoyed this one quite a bit, I also hope that we have even more captivating movies because that means that um, you know it's going to be a good summer then. Yeah. All right, Scott, what was your favorite scene or moment from A Quiet Place Part 2? Yeah, it, it's got to be the opening. Um, but even even that comes with the caveat of, like, we saw, to me, like, the most 
innovative part in the trailer, like the trailer that came out, you know, ages ago. Yeah, I was so um, bummed that they had that. They had that scene. They had the that ca- moment. The car reversing oh, and so the other good. car coming. Like that was that was actually a create creative. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, and the, just the um, you know sort of single take the way that they um, you know do that whole shot from the car. Yeah. Um, and you know you you can't see out the back again. We've seen this in several movies recently things like that um so yeah that was an interesting look at how this whole thing came about um we get a little bit of krasinski's character again um and so that was that was a nice sort of flashback sequence that i thought was an okay way to open the movie so that i point to that yeah i mean great scene i talked about it too that how it was probably you know the most the, the best mix of like thrilling you know, some, something different than you're going to get the rest of the movie, right? Because there's just so many people around, right? It's this, like, populated city. Um, mm-hmm. And sort of every, everything is going down. It was a great moment. It, it felt like it was, like, a little long. <laughs> it was, like, probably just, like, a little bit too long. Um, especially for how, irre- frankly, irrelevant it was for the movie overall. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I, I loved it still. I would 100%, you know, watch, watch that scene as a sort of a standalone short film. Um, you know, short before, you know, this is yeah. like the Pixar short before, right? Before your Pixar movie, it just happens to be really yeah. related to the movie. The whole baseball game thing did feel a little like played out the, the whole, like, we're going to look at the alien ship as it flies overhead or whatever. Like, I feel like we've seen that in a ton of movies before. And it, it seems like it's a sporting event a lot of times too, or it's, it's always yeah, some it, sort of big, it's gathering. usually a baseball game. <laughs> I feel like it's almost yeah. always a baseball game. It's a, it's a very Spielbergian touch that just felt a little recycled. Yeah. You know, if I, if I wasn't going to choose that, that scene i think i'd probably go with the scene on the docks which we haven't really talked that much about um i I guess i know i mentioned it but i I think that's just like a really cleverly designed scene i think when you see this little girl on the dock like you know it's you know it's just horrible news like (laughs) you should not go near this girl it's a terrible idea um and you know i guess the 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 better instincts of killian murphy let him down there you know the the isolationist before he meets the abbots um, I guess that wall had been brought down a little bit because you feel like the image of 24 hours ago would have either just killed that girl on sight or, uh, you know, left her there. And he should have left her there because that was bad news. I mean, granted, they probably still would have ended up in the same situation because they were like clearly surrounded on all sides by these people. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the sort of dread that I think that you were talking about that some of this film was lacking, at least to the same extent that was in the first. Like, I don't know. I, I felt that pretty intensely in that moment, although it had nothing to do with the creatures. Um, and then how they managed to connive their way out of the situation, I think, was was really interesting, um, as well as like continuing to sort of show him like struggling to stay above, you know, above water when he had like the noose tied around his neck and stuff. I think it was just a really well shot scene, well contrived um, and added that that layer of tension that that still is there from the, from the first movie overall. All right, Scott, let's put a score on it out of 10. What are you giving a quiet place part two? Uh, I give it a 6.2. It's a fine enough sequel. Um, but I don't think it, it, it did not answer that question of, did this movie need to be made in a satisfying enough way for me? Um, to where, you know, again, I could look back on it as a a strong theatrical experience or look forward to the next entry in the series. Um, I don't know that I, I feel either of either of those ways, but you can do worse. Yeah. I I think that's, that's fair enough. I guess I, Maybe I go into these movies trying not to think too much about whether or not they needed to exist and just think about, all right, they exist. Here's what I what I feel when I watch it, I guess, which is maybe how we end up different in different places. But yeah, I'm in an 8.4. Really enjoyable. Um, 
you know, like I said, I, I think that from the experience, it was just as good as the first for me, if not a little bit better, but it won't, I won't be surprised if two years from now, I'm still thinking more about the first one than the second one, but uh, you know, a, a good enough welcome back to the movies. Although I did see Krill the night before I saw this. So uh, I guess it doesn't technically my welcome back. All right. I think that should just about do it for our discussion of a quiet place. Part two, let's take a short break. And when we return, we'll be talking about some more recent industry news. And we talked about the discovery Warner media merger a couple weeks ago. Uh, this time we're talking about Amazon and MGM as well as some other news. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As I mentioned before the break, Scott, we have some more uh, deals announcements. What's well, deals with a Z, of course, uh, for the in- entertainment industry. We talked about Discovery and Warner Media. This time, it's Amazon and MGM. Wouldn't call this a merger, which is more or less what's happening with Discovery and Warner Media. This is just very much a, an acquisition. And talking about the question about like who, like what, like wh- like why does this sequel exist? You're talking about Amazon. If Amazon MGM is the sequel to Warner Media and Discovery, you know this it really feels like a weird play to me. It was rumored even like the same day as the announcement of AT and T selling Warner Media to Discovery. It was talked about how Amazon was in advanced talks to acquire MGM, but it's just like such a strange one. Honestly, like MGM is like so frankly irrelevant. Like the only relevant thing they have in their library is like James Bond, and they only own half of them. They don't even have like the con- I don't even think they have like half technically. I think they don't even have like the controlling rights to Bond. I think that it's all with the Broccoli family at the end of the day. And so I guess it gets you like the James Bond IP, which like frankly I don't think is as valuable as it once was. Like like who would like Scott, would you be excited about a James Bond TV show? No. No, I mean not, uh, but I, I am not I'm not who it is for. Um, I, uh, aren't you though? Aren't you? Aren't you the one who? I mean, who I'm not that big of a James Bond fan, is what I what I mean. Well, like I your mean, demographic. In general, I don't. Yes, yes, no, but but that was the point I was going to make. I think is that I actually do think. I mean, they're you know these Bond movies make a crap ton of money. Like even even the you know most recent one, which wasn't very good, um, and internationally, I think is is where they pick up a lot of money as well. So I think there's still life in the James Bond name. Uh, maybe a TV series is is where they they go with it next. I don't know, but um, well, look, you're yeah. not gonna get you're not gonna get a streamer James Bond movie, right? Like the Broccoli's would. I mean, they literally, no, yeah, literally we, tried we to had sell that conversation to, die to Apple, and they and then yeah. Barbara Broccoli and the Broccoli family didn't allow it. Um, so there's no way that I mean, Amazon has already been very friendly with keeping putting you know putting their movies in theaters. They've never been, you know, I mean, like what their biggest movies like Manchester by the Sea, uh, The Big Sick. What are some other ones, you know, recently? I mean, without remorse, obviously, it's an exception because it's the pandemic. But, I mean, I just feel like all their biggest movies, they all go to theaters first. It's not like this big, big streaming play. Sound of them. Metal, was that not an Amazon? Uh... It was, but I was trying to think before the pandemic, though, right? Because, like, yeah. I mean, Sound of Metal would have gotten a theatrical release. Like, mm-hmm. like, so, yeah, I mean, that, like, movie just, like, definitely would have gotten a theatrical release, I would think. Um, like, I guess Late Night, is that the Sundance movie they acquired? They still put out in theaters. Right, yeah. Britney runs a marathon. Things like, like they're, they're very theater friendly, and so you can only assume that like, if you're acquiring MGM and Bond, like you're buying IP. I don't know. There's probably like some other, you know, IP that MGM owns probably that I'm just like not knowing off the top of my head. Um, 
and you're Some buying a animated huge catalog. stuff, maybe. I don't know. Really? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm I just have no idea. Yeah. yeah, but like you're buying IP and you're buying a huge back catalog of movies. But like, like, would you are you gonna go subscribe to Amazon Prime because they have MGM library? Like, that's just like like I just don't see the so, play. I, yeah, I, I I know I know what you're saying. I I think there are enough people subscribed to Amazon Prime at this point where they don't necessarily. I mean, I, of course, I'm sure they're always trying to bring in new subscribers, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I see this as as just a way to um get the people who are already there probably because there are so many people who are subscribed to Amazon Prime. But um, I think we're I, I, if I had to predict, I think we're going to see a young James Bond uh, TV oh series. God some point I, I i think that is uh the Isn't right just james the bond though is that like alex Ryder? like aren't they already making that with there, were, there were books i i wish i could remember what the name of the author was but there were a, a few books about like a um younger james bond that got written um that maybe they go back and and adapt those um but i just feel like i feel like uh ya teen shows and stuff again are having um, a little bit of a resurgence. I mean, Am- Amazon, they just dropped one this week with Panic. They already had The Wilds, which also was earlier this year, that show about a bunch of, um, you know, students who get stranded on a island. Um, That's familiar. And yeah, yeah. And, you know, Netflix obviously has had their um, successes and failures in that in that sphere. But stuff like Outer Banks, Stranger Things even um, are, are hits, so. Yeah, it, it's just a, it's just a. I'm trying to decipher it from a business perspective, which I know is my own unique bubble to live in. Um, but like, if it's not to acquire more people, like if it's not to get more subscribers on your service, frankly, like, I, like I don't even think entertainment is even something they think of as people as like to drive people to their service. Like it's it's probably more of a defensive mechanism against like mm-hmm. insert e-commerce competitor who wants to offer you also like also offer you free two day shipping. Like you're going to stick with Amazon because you also have Amazon music and you have Amazon entertainment. Like it's too, it's too good of a value to like trade off to like another, to like drop for another two day shipper or like they use it as like a defensive mechanism. So like, why do you need to buy the MGM library? Like, why do you need to do that? Like, is it to be relevant? Like, I, I just can't wrap my head around it. I don't know like why. I mean, like Amazon has hundreds of billions of dollars just to like set on fire and like, yeah, exactly. Uh, do whatever they want with, and this is only eight eight of those billions of dollars. Um, and it so, just you know, feels like this, enough, this but... has become the play for like streaming services now. It's just like how many random IPs and stuff can we just like collect? You know, I just I, I feel like we're yeah. that's the sort of marketplace we're approaching right now. Yeah, maybe maybe I just like I can I, I can I can really understand Disney Fox. I can really understand Warner Media Discovery. But this just feels like a glory bot, just like to say that you bought something, uh, which, you know, if that's what makes Jeff Bezos happy in his last month before he hands over the CEO chair to, I can't remember his, Andy something, who's succeeding him. Good good for you, Jeff. Good for you. All right, Scott, turn things over to you to talk about some recent casting news in John Wick 4. Or I should say Chapter 4. Post-Parabellum. Yeah, talk, about, talk about casting news that came out of nowhere. Um, you... you uh, moved this onto my radar this week, Scott. Um, and I was like, had to read it a few times to make sure I was like reading it right. Um, because uh, pop singer Rina Sawayama, who released one of my favorite albums from last year, Sawayama, 
um, has been cast in John Wick Chapter Four. Um, she's not a household name or anything like that um, when it comes to the the pop music sphere. She's very much in the the indie pop um, sphere. She's not someone who I anticipate necessarily having uh, you know big chart topping hits or anything like that. Um, but I I loved her album from last year. So it's it's a weird choice. Um, I didn't yeah I didn't even know she was in the acting sphere. I didn't know that she was interested she in doing is. this. Um, but, uh, we don't know how substantial, you know, the, the role is going to be. She may just be like, a eye I candy or something. I don't know. Um, I could, she could just that. be a random be person who's room. walking through the continental hotel. <laughs> she could be, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, cool. I, I, I'm glad to see interesting decisions being made, uh, continuing to be made in the John Wick franchise. Um, you know, you pointed out, Scott, that this is not the first time we've seen a musical star in the John Wick universe with um, with Common playing like a bodyguard character, basically, in John Wick Chapter 2. You know, the um, assassin that wasn't, wasn't he one of the assassins trying to kill him? Yeah, he was a heavy, basically. Um, he yeah. was, you know, just a, a big body for John Wick to get in a fight with. And maybe, you know, maybe um, Rina Sawayama is going to be some sort of like seductive female assassin or something. I don't know. That could yeah. be, that could be interesting. Um, I don't know if we've seen that before in John Wick. I guess last time we had, uh, what's her face? Halle Berry, right? But that wasn't exactly the, the same thing. But um, I would be shook if, if the role for Rina Sawayama is the same as the role for Halle Berry in chapter three. Who, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, maybe. But, uh, I mean, re- really, I just want to take this opportunity to tell everyone that they should listen to Sawayama, which is a fantastic album. Um, and even if this role is not substantial or, or it turns out that she's not cut out for acting, um, she has a great career ahead of her in the world of music, I think. And I hope that uh, we will get a, a Rina Sawayama original for, for John Wick for the John Wick Chapter Four soundtrack, maybe maybe we'll get a nice sort Wouldn't of James me. Bond opening credit sequence to a Rina Sawayama song. Oh my god! I I personally hope that that doesn't happen, but I do hope that she has yeah. an original <laughs> song on the album. <laughs> I will. Yeah, that'd be dope. I will rock back and forth in my seat if they, if they go full James Bond with the intro of John Wick Four. But hey, who knows? Who knows what will happen? She was in two episodes yeah. of Turn Up Charlie, which is like the Netflix Idris Elba DJ series <laughs> she was in two episodes of that but that's the only thing she had sure. filmography um so cool i guess now this is cool this means nothing to me scott like it won't surprise anyone yeah to this. this this news doesn't mean anything to me but i was excited that you were excited and uh i didn't immediately go listen to sawayama but i think i will maybe i'll i'm cool. going to take the take a take a nice train ride down to brooklyn later today to watch wolf of wall street and maybe i'll listen to sawayama on the way listen to bad friend Dynasty, XS, all bangers. All right. It's on the list. We'll see if it happens. All right, Scott, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I am at Scarby Dent on Twitter and Letterboxd. And I am at Shelton2013 in the same places. Please follow our podcast as well. We have a Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Check it out. If you can support us, we'd really appreciate that. If not, you can still find us in all your normal places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, share, if you don't mind, in those places. And thank you very much. We appreciate you for taking time out of your day to listen to us talk about movies. We'll be back next week with a review of the latest in Disney's live-action remake slash spinoff, Chronicles, this time Cruella. Until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton.
We'll see you next time.